Thanks for listening to this podcast from Christ Church of Orinoco. Our hope is that it would help you discover completeness in Jesus. Now for this week's teaching. Uh, a little bit by way of review and coming back, uh, one of the things I left you with two weeks ago was this statement. And honestly, this came to me, I don't know, midway through studying for the last lesson. And I think it's, it's going to shape how I see prayer. Um, so the statement, how you pray reveals what you believe. Or you could use you know, more parallel, how you believe. And I think the Lord's Prayer in many ways um, shapes not only how we pray, but also how we are to believe. And so by way of review, uh, one of the things the Lord's Prayer does for us is it reminds us that God is in heaven, that we are living for His will and His kingdom, that He promises to give us our daily bread, that He's powerful enough to give us our daily bread, and that, that we can overcome temptation or deliverance from the evil one. That outline is not only, in, you know, sometimes you hear preachers preach while they're praying. I do this to my kids, right? <laughs> help these poor kids get along, right? Um, or I do this with my wife, right? Help, help her to forgive me. Um, so we can preach sermons while we're, while we're praying. And I think Jesus, in many ways, is teaching about who God is or who he is as much as teaching us the act of prayer. Because it's not a magical incantation by any means. It's aligning ourselves to who God is, what we believe about Him, and, and then, you know, in that sense, an expression of faith. So I, I remind you again, as we left last time, I said in many ways, I think the Lord's Prayer can be something we just quote, but it also can be something we use as an outline so that we are praying with a healthy theology. So we are praying, God, you're bigger than my situation. God, I want your will, not mine be done. Jesus prays that in the garden, by the way. The cross seemed rather large, I'm assuming. Um, Your will be done. Um, May this cup be taken from me. Not what I want, what you want. And give us this day our daily bread, which bread is a symbol for daily needs. It's the echo of manna in the desert is what we mentioned. Is that for Israel, God provides daily bread. And lead us not into temptation. Jesus just came out of the wilderness 40 days of temptation. And three times, not only denied bread, stones bread, which there's an echo there too, but was able to overcome temptation where Israel and Adam were not. And I think that's why the story is structured the way it is in Jesus' life, is he is supposed to look like Israel. He goes to Egypt. He comes out of Egypt. Out of Egypt I have called my son, Matthew says. It fulfills that prophecy. He crosses the Jordan in his baptism. In that, in that moment, God says, this is my son. Listen to him. He goes into the wilderness again through the Jordan River. It's almost rewind, right? Goes into the wilderness. He's there for 40 days, not 40 years. He's tempted. He's tempted in three ways. I think they're the three ways that we're all tempted. And honestly, some of the ways Adam was tempted. To have a kingdom, to have knowledge, to... and. And the same way Israel was tempted throughout their history. All, to, all three times he turns his dependence to, to God, daily bread. So I say that to say this. If you remember from week one, the Lord's Prayer to me, and, and this, isn't my, this isn't my saying, uh, Pennington, Chad Pennington, uh, I think it's Chad, uh, in his commentary highlights this, or several others, that the Lord's Prayer does seem to be kind of the pinnacle of the mountain, of the Sermon on the Mount. And everything can kind of hang on it. And that's part of the reason why I've you know, kind of titled the, the series, Your Kingdom Come. Because that phrase really does shape our heart and our heartbeat uh, throughout the rest of the sermon. So I start there um, because we're, today we, we kind of turn the page. So we had three examples of reward. What will you live for? The applause of men or the re- reward of God? And the question then becomes, well, what's the reward? Well, it makes sense next to talk about treasure and money. Okay, so so the transition here, I think, is less of a hard and fast transition, more of a fade out, fade in. Um, but the question still becomes, what are you living for? Okay, so if the prayer is, your kingdom come, your will be done, this question is, are you living for the reward of men, the applause of men, the reward of God? And then today we're going to talk about this idea of, so what does treasure look like in the kingdom? Um, I'm going to flip the board around. Look how I did this. I prepared it ahead of time. Um, trust, trust myself to, uh, uh, to uh, spell a little bit more accurately this way. 
Um, money is interesting in the Bible. Uh, in fact, because I've had to preach on money several times in a church, uh, we preached on it. Boy, it wasn't my favorite. Uh, once every other year uh, as a series. And, and it came up in text over and over again, right? And so I thought, well, I need to dedicate some time just to study the theology of money in the Bible. It's not comfortable by any means, and I'm not going to say that it's comfortable talking to y'all about, to be quite honest. I just got a raise, after all, at Ozark Christian College. So I'm praying, I'm praying the prayer. So what do I do as a good steward with this extra income that we have coming in? And, um, and my kids have ideas, and God might have ideas. Um, but, you know, the prayer, your will be done. What does that look like for us? Um, I think that's fair for all of us. So, in a, you know, an era of transparency, honestly, we're asking that question. Right now, our daily bread's being met. There have been times, uh, five years ago when we were here, I've told you all this, where we've actually prayed the give us our daily bread and meant daily bread. Um, and so it's interesting to me, you know, six years later to go, okay, I pray that prayer a little differently. Right now, daily bread is um, some of the needs I have at work, uh, some of the needs I have with raising a 12-year-old daughter and a 9-year-old boy and a 5-year-old girl, uh, some of the needs we have with just time and managing time as a family. And uh, my wife and I run past each other, it seems like, right now. And uh, So daily bread is just even sometimes energy for the day. Um, but I don't want to take for granted that he's also given us daily bread perhaps to give to other people. Um, that sometimes the extra we have um, is meant to be daily bread for someone who doesn't have extra. So money in that study, money I think is helpful in this way. What you'll notice what I want to do is I want to get to the heart. I, I don't want to ask you know you to evaluate your net worth as much as I want you to evaluate the heart and what it's worth. Okay, because um, I've learned this lesson the hard way. I did ministry in what used to be the wealthiest ca- uh, county in the United States. It's not anymore. Monticello, Illinois, little tiny Pike County, um, had someone there in the, I think it was 1890s, 1910, around there, who invented pepsin syrup for people who got sick. Um, that medical uh, industry spurred that county on, that little county on, to be the wealthiest county per capita in the United States. Um, there's a park there called Allerton Park that will rival almost any private residency in some of the places you'd see in Europe. Uh, he brought statuaries over from Europe and had all of the private gardens with the hedges and the, all of those types of things, and it's acres and acres of land. Um, so one of the things that ministry taught me there is that this was a little bit more difficult to discern, maybe you can use the word judge, than merely what net worth is. It's easy for us to say, well, that person struggles and that person doesn't because they have money and they don't. And I don't care if you're wealthy or poor, um, you can have a love of money. And, uh, and we know this. Um, we also know this. I mean, there, I'm not the first person to say this. Uh, you know, there's a speaker who went on a litany of examples. If you, have a, if you have a house for your car or for your dog, you might be like one, and it's kind of a Jeff Foxworthy spinoff, right? You might be one of the wealthiest people per capita in the world. Um, if you have, uh, and he just listed, if you have more than one pair of shoes, if you have, and he just went off on that. And, and it was a helpful reminder. Um, but I think all of us go, okay, so, so, so what? Like, tell me what to do. So what I want to do first is come at the heart. Because I think that's where Jesus comes. And I think then we can talk about some applications. So these two words here are not on your handout. I think one of the things we see about the study of money in the Bible is that God is concerned about how money points to our priorities. In fact, money becomes almost a litmus litmus test. That's not the right word. Yeah, litmus test. Um, It points to our priorities. Uh, Back when checkbooks were a thing... Um, which I think we wrote a check the other day for the first time in like three months. Uh, we're old school. Um, no, we're old. School. <laughs> yeah. Um, we do in both ways. Yeah, we we did. Uh, we we still do occasionally. It's becoming less and less, to be honest. Um, I, I went. I don't know that I know what what to do on this. Oh yeah, I'm good. I got this. Okay. So it, it points to our. We can look at. All of us can look at how we spend our money. And it can be things spiritual, but it can be things non-spiritual, right? And we can go, these are the things that matter to us. So, um, you know, for, for us, even when it comes to Christmas, one of the things we value for our kids, uh, we value books, um, we value experiences. So what kind of Christmas presents do they get? Well, they get learning toys, 
most often building blocks. Um, here's an example. We left it at church on Wednesday night, actually. Um, and uh, so they get those kinds of things. They get books. But we also, like from grandparents, we ask for experiences. So like my mom got our family one gift, uh, passes to Silver Dollar City. It's a pretty extravagant gift, to be honest. Um, but hey, it's uh, we want the opportunity to go share life as a family together. So, But our money can share those priorities. You know, does a person uh, care about a church? Which church? And what, what at church? And uh, what kinds of things? And so the, the Bible teaches us this, that, that money points to what we put first, what we, what we prioritize. Uh, the second thing is securities. Um, money can at times, and, and we're going to talk about anxiety and worry, it can reveal... And I'm going to argue, I I want you to just have your own heart revealed. The text wants us to have our own heart revealed. It can reveal at times, and it has to me before. Um, I have too much security in money at times. And so when money's not there, and I'm going, what's going to happen to our family? And I need to, you know, I need to do something, and I need that energy. And sometimes it's God going, yes, but I've equipped you, and it'll be okay. And, And sometimes it's a both and, and he wants us to work hard. Um, but when we get overly anxious and overly fearful, we can kind of go, oh, what should be security and priority in God is easily transferable to money. And money becomes a major theme in the New Testament, in the Bible, I think perhaps because of how readily it takes the place of God in our life. Um, so how readily it becomes an idol. And I know this is nothing new, um, but, I, but it does feed into this text because of the Sermon on the Mount. Because of our Father who art in heaven, you're on the throne, you're in control, your kingdom come, your will be done, give us this day our daily bread, lead us not into temptation. And, and you know, we go through fasting, which is honestly a practice of dependence upon God. If, if we're going to go by those three things we talked about fasting, um, it makes sense that this comes next. So I want us to kind of segue with that. Uh, thoughts that you had uh, about that before we dive into the text itself? I read uh, this week in St. Louis, there was that big nationwide conference by the United Methodist Church. Yeah. Did you read the, the thing that, the yeah. testimony that the guy from Africa gave and his and what he wrote about their stance on, mm-hmm. it, one of the things that he the stance was they were the, they were voting whether to put avowed homosexuals in in the leadership and all of yeah. this stuff and they said he said he was very incensed because apparently they had I don't know if they'd received a, a threat or a idea that they needed the money from the US mm. and he said we don't need your money and we're not gonna we don't yeah I can't remember exactly but it was so elegant eloquent and everything just I hadn't me. heard that part but oh, okay oh my goodness it was yeah. if you have a chance to listen to his whole thing it's on I'll have Facebook to, I'll have to dive into that yeah that yeah. that to me it was people amazing with, <coughs> yes. yeah. Yeah. yeah and and we see it and we and we know even politics like we know yeah. uh, so much of the so much of what we don't like about it mm-hmm. is driven by that yeah. kind of greed so, so what I was thinking was when I read all of that I just it just hit me you know um about money again, yeah. you know, because yeah. sometimes I feel too secure in, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. what we have. <laughs> yeah. And uh, you don't have to look far yeah. to see people who have to totally depend upon God and who, who have made the choice that, you know, yeah. if I have it today and it's gone tomorrow, I still have God. Mm. And that and that heartbeat is what I want to figure out. And I, and I think there is a place for us to start asking some tougher questions. And I think those have to be done individually with Christ. You know, you see you see a, a, a tension in the text. You see examples of people like the rich young ruler that come to Jesus and ask, "What should I do? I've done these commandments." And he says, "Sell all your possessions, give to the poor, and then come follow me." And, he's, and he goes away sad because he has great wealth. Well. You also see Zacchaeus, who has great wealth. He's a chief tax collector. And he comes to Jesus, and he repents. 
and he has a party with his friends, and he gives away some of his money. I think it's half of his wealth. And then to the people he's wronged, he offers to give back four times. Well, he doesn't give away everything. It's not the same as the rich young ruler. And you have wealthy people like those who are in Herod's household who are following Jesus. They're supporting Jesus' ministry. But it doesn't seem like they're giving everything away. Um, you, you have those examples that go throughout. And, and again, I think what it reminds me of is Jesus' ability to discern someone's heart. And, and it's hard for us to do that for anyone else. The only one we can do that for is for ourselves. Okay, and so so for us to get to our heart and go, is there anything that's getting between me and your kingdom come, your will be done, with even this? Uh, Dave Ramsey, I don't agree with everything he says, but honestly, one of the metaphors I really liked that he had um, was that you know some people hold on to money this way, and some people hold on to money this way. And the metaphor, if you're listening, is a closed fist or an open hand. And so, if I'm a steward, money comes in, but it's not mine, so I, I use it the way the king would have me. Some of it is to meet our needs, and honestly, some of it's to enjoy. If we read Ecclesiastes and Proverbs and some of the Old Testament, we we see that God and even even Jesus and his disciples they. I mean, and sometimes they're celebrating in weddings and those types of things. But it's that attitude, it's that heart that, that wants to prioritize the things of God and what God has. So I find, you know, in many ways this text a riddle. And I think you've heard me say that. Um, but this word treasure and the word reward, I think, are intentionally uh, ambiguous. And, and I think in some ways Jesus is actually trapping the Pharisees in their own game um, by, by using words that have associations for them. So I want to read through some of this, and I'll, and I'll pause and, and kind of share with you what I, what I mean by that. <clears throat> uh, of course, he says this, verse 19, Do not lay up for yourselves treasure. And that word, by the way, is do not treasure up for yourselves treasures. It's a double, uh, double word that has the same word. Do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth uh, where moth and rust destroy, uh, where thieves break in and steal. By the way, we've been robbed twice in Web City. Um, we've had a camper stolen, a pop-up camper stolen. I had my garage broken into, my truck broken into in Web City. So this text took on new meaning a few yeah. years ago. Um, thanks to uh, Our camper got turned into a portable meth lab and transported a, an elite, a, a person who was had a warrant out for their arrest. And, uh, and so yeah, we did not accept it back. Web City Police Department found that. We're thankful for them. But uh, we, uh, we said, no, thanks. You can keep it. It has all the meth needles in it that uh, we did not need to have. Um, so we've experienced that. And honestly, there's treasures we've had that, that in those two things that were taken. We've also that things were broken. I told you about a house fire that happened 4th of July. It was one of those moments where we went, this is temporary. Um, I've, I've told you perhaps one of the, my favorite sermon moments we had in our church. We took garage sale stickers and we had the word eternal and the word temporary printed on them. We gave everybody a, a, a pack of them. And they, their job was to apply a text. It might have been this text itself. And they, their little kids run around with eternal stickers on their forehead. And, uh, and then there were, you know, trucks and things like that, that no matter what the cost was, something that someone valued, that someone was just recognizing, no matter what I paid for this, it's just temporary. And, uh, and that's, I think, one of the things Jesus is doing here. Some things are temporary, some things are eternal, so how will you, how will you value them? And boy, that's something we learn as we get older, isn't it? Like, I feel like my kids have no sense of value whatsoever. Like, Dad! Here's a gumball machine. Can we pay 50 cents for that gumball? I'm like, no. Are you kidding me? Every time the ice cream truck comes around the corner in the summertime, Dad, do you have $2? I'm like, son, you can get a whole box of ice cream for the, for the price we'd pay for those three ice creams uh, this summer. And, 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 and it doesn't matter. I'll take a Walmart with that same $6. We'll go to Walmart. We'll get in the freezer section. He'll get a pack of ice cream cones. And they'll be like, Dad, this is great. We should do this next time. Next time that ice cream truck comes around, I'm like, oh, here it comes again. So, you know, we, we make fun of kids that way, but I know this is true with me. Like, you know, honestly, there's something right now that, that someone had, and I was like, oh, I think I want that. And, and I found myself just kind of hanging on to that, and I'm like, there's value. But I know it'll happen. It'll be the same thing. It happens to some other things. I'll get it. It'll be novel for a while, and then just be like something else. And um, Mark Mort used to teach. Uh, he taught me this. He, he said, there's a principle, and it's more. Anything more that I buy or get is actually going to cost more. And the reality is, is that the more you add to your life, the more mores on the outside you have. And these things, kind of like cancer, 
just exponentially grow because then you need insurance and then you need to pay gas. And then anybody, I bought a barbecue grill for Father's Day. I need a barbecue cover, right? Um, and so you need those kinds of things. And, and what happens is that we do this to the place to where you know we have a lid of what we can afford and we live as close to, if not, by the way, American statistics over that lid rather than asking how can we live under that lid and then be generous with this amount that God has given us as extra. This principle is one of the things I want to teach because what I don't want to teach is the net worth. Uh, let's you know, let's talk about this only for the top five percent or the top. That's what we're getting into in our economy right now, and it's like, well, that's not kingdom economics because kingdom, kingdom economics is concerned about heart. And, um, and so this principle of treasure, and the more mature we are, the more we recognize what has value, what lasts, what doesn't. Uh, and by maturity, maturity has no age limit in the kingdom um, because Jesus has looked to the kids. They get it more than we do uh, when it comes to value. And, and sometimes my kids do. Dad, um, you know, we'd rather just be with you. Oh, okay, value. And uh, so, so that's helpful for us. And, and I, I know it's a good reminder. I know you know these things today. Um, but I think Jesus teaches them, and I think they're, they're good wisdom reminders for us. Um, verse 21, kind of skipping a little bit, but uh, in parallel. Uh, he says, For where your treasure is, your heart will be also. And that kind of goes back to those first two things, right? Whatever we treasure, our priorities, our securities, like our heart is going to actually point the direction of that. And this is that phrase. I'm, I've not heard another commentator say this or another preacher. So Mark, uh, Mark Christian might you know, come and be like, I don't think so. And that's okay. Um, I would actually go, you're probably right. Uh, Michael DeFazio, I need, might need to ask him at some point. But I've, I've pondered with whether or not this phrase is somewhat of a, a riddle he's using with the Pharisees. He does this often where he um, will put things out there and they'll go, that's about us, isn't it? Parables, right? And in this text, um, I think the word treasure is intentionally vague. And the question becomes about the kingdom. What has worth in the kingdom? And really, the, the question of kingdom becomes, well, it depends on which kingdom you're in. Right? If I go down to, it doesn't matter where, uh, let's say Mexico, um, and I take... Uh, you know, maybe that would be a bad example because they might take American dollars. But let's say I go to Haiti because I know they don't there, mm-hmm. and I want to spend American dollars at the store. Um, they're not going to take them because that's not doesn't have the the paper money there doesn't have value. I have to go exchange it, and that uh, part of me wrestles with this phrase of going. Perhaps what the King Jesus and His kingdom values is not the same thing the Earth values because, the, by the way, they're going to pass away. Rust is going to destroy them, and fire is going to destroy them. So what is it that has lasting value? Well, it's not money. It's people. And if you want to ex- use in the metaphor of exchanging money in a kingdom for another kingdom as you're traveling, if I want to exchange something in a, one kingdom to another kingdom that has value, then I need to you know, exchange it for the one thing that does. So one of the things that Jesus says is we use our money to invest in things that will last. And it's to make eternal friends. It's one of the things he says about being shrewd with our money, with earthly wealth. And what he's talking about is people. Like what is treasure, where your treasure is, your heart is also, is people, in my personal opinion. Um, and so the question of money pointing to our treasuring of people becomes maybe the key to unlocking what Jesus is talking about here. Um, again, I could be wrong but I, I do think that there's an element of a riddle here. Now, when I've grown up, you know, I'd have people talk about like streets of gold, those types of things in heaven. And I'd have, you know, the, the jokes of going, well, man, if the streets are paved with gold, imagine what heaven's going to be like. And, and as I studied even Revelation 21, 22, it's not so much about the jewels and about the gold. Those things are all symbolic, of, uh, pointing to the fact that, that God will be there mm-hmm. and that his people will be there. And if you treasure God and you treasure his people, if those are the things that you treasure, who cares about anything else? None of those things matter. And, and honestly, like the more I have like just this growing depth of love for family and for people, the more I go, everything is... It's, I mean, I, I'm kind of, you know, maybe it's a midlife crisis, I don't know. There, there's just this kind of growing sense of me of like, Nothing's going to... I mean, maybe it's Ecclesiastes, right? Vanity, vanity, a chasing after the wind. But just a sense of like, none of it's going to satisfy. So let's, let's boil this down to what's really going to matter and, and make that count these last whatever 
according to you, year that I might have left. <laughs> you know, it's interesting because uh, for your treasure register, your heart will be all right. Um, I struggle with my kids being my treasure. Yeah. Um, and, mm. um, you know, that's good. You guys yeah. struggled with them becoming idols in a way. Yeah. Um, which is good. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's good to have be. Yeah. You know, focus on your kids. Love but, your kids, but, but not yeah. there was this time in our life that Cheryl and I struggled. Yeah, at least I did with her. Yeah, kids becoming idols, and so they wanted something, yeah. and I would say, yeah. yeah, yeah, you want that? Yeah, I'll do yeah. it. Yeah, there's a there's uh, a book called I Trophy did, Child. I didn't that, have that. Yeah. So growing up, and so I wanted to yeah. give that. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And mm-hmm. so you know, um, realizing that that you have to be careful even yeah. as the you know when you talk about the people or the currency yeah they can become idols if you're not careful but but okay. as we've gotten we have older to teach our kids the opposite that we need to give to the family uh, of god and we need to sacrifice yeah. some things for ourselves so that yeah. we can give to others and it was a good lesson for them and that's that's hard because like even our when my daughter okay. took all my spare chains this this morning out of my jar which wasn't much probably like three bucks mm-hmm. and um and the, the public school, they're collecting money for someone in Africa, and I'm not sure what it was, but my five-year-old's like, they're taking all of our money? <laughs> like to her, the money was gone. We were done. <laughs> and, and, I, you know, and she just couldn't fathom how we'd be giving money away. Um, but, but yeah, I think, I think that's, you know, right. there's a book called Trophy Child that actually is a descriptor talking about um, just you know, observing cultural dynamics and how that is a struggle. Uh, and actually, in Monticello, that was very much a struggle to to the mm-hmm. point to where marriages were actually struggling mm-hmm. uh, once kids um, left the house because they actually didn't know how to function mm-hmm. when they weren't mm-hmm. centered around kids' activities. And we're right in the midst of the hurricane of kids' activities. So I'm, yeah. I mean, I'm right there living yeah. the. How do we navigate right, these waters? Right in there, a little yeah. bit where your kids. Yeah. Are. That's when it started yeah. happening. No, I, and, and we helpful. got a hold of that, and we realized what was going on. But yeah. but you know, some people don't. And yeah, I appreciate you sharing that. Yeah. Well, I think it was uh, very good for them, though, as we grew, because we'd say, "Well, we, you know, we don't have, we don't have." Been, Dave Ramsey says, mm-hmm. "No," is what we'd always say. Yeah. <laughs> blame it on Dave. He's, yeah, easy, yeah, he's easy to blame it on. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> because that envelope was empty. Yeah. Right? Uh huh. Any money left? Um, yeah. Well, no, it's not that we don't have any money left. We don't have any money that's designated for that left. Yeah. You know? And finally, one of our kids asked us, "You know." <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely, and that's okay for you not to like him. Yeah. Um, I tell my kids, my job's not to make you happy; it's to help you grow. Right. So, it's but but I agree with you. That's um, you know whether that's uh, how we discipline or not discipline. Uh, it's a temptation for a lot of us because a lot of us want to be seen by our kids as being. Um, you know, loving and those types of things. You want to be a good parent. Um, and, and the heart is just, de- like, the Bible teaches the heart is deceiving. Like, it's so easy to switch gears and go, wait, my motivation's wrong. So I appreciate you sharing that. So, so with this, you know, again, notice how every time Jesus is teaching, it comes back to the heart in the Sermon on the Mount. And again, the contrast for me is not just the Pharisees as an individual, but the heart of the Pharisees. He said, your righteousness needs to exceed that of the Pharisees. And so the righteousness here when it comes to money is a righteousness of a heart that says, um, I treasure what the king treasures, your will be done, rather than what is treasured on earth. And that's going to tie into some of our others. So let's move on to verse 22. There's really four, I'm going to give you four categories that go on to describe this. Um, So you'll notice um, that I've kind of put your eyes as category number one, your devotion, who do you serve, your anxiousness as a test, which again, I would go, um, I tend to be an anxious person, not tend to worry about money or food or those types of things. But security can be a thing. And then again, your eyes, what you seek. So the first phrase here in verse 22 is honestly odd. A lot of scholars don't know what to, not a lot, most of them don't know what to do with this text. Um, Here's what it says. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light is in you and is darkness, how great is the darkness? So a lot of studies have been done about what do the first century people believe about the eyes. And as far as we can tell, a couple things. Number one, the first century people believed that light was either, either emanated by the eyes so that you could see the world. 
Could you imagine? I mean, they're not understanding some of the biology and some of the things. So your eyes are actually projecting light, almost, you know, we would say flashlights, but that's, they're thinking a little, probably less <laughs> strict in our, the physical sense. Or the, the eyes were actually the windows to allow light in, but your body actually needed light to exist as well. And, and so, so this window of light in. Um, so that's the second option. The third option is that the, the, there are windows into your life, um, but, there are in, but there are for light to come into your body, but there are also windows into your soul. Like you can look into someone's eyes and you can see them. There's something to that. Um, there's a reason why in cartoons when someone's greedy, what do they put on their eyes? Money signs. Yeah. Because we've actually picked up on a sense of that same concept, that there's something about the eyes of people that we use to symbolize something that's inside of their heart. You can, like, when you're raising your children, you can tell by their eyes whether they're being... Yeah. You know, oh, so true. Doubt. No doubt. Yeah, my son, I'm like, you cannot get away with it, buddy. Like, you're super transparent. They were carrying six bottles of water through our backyard. This is a number of years ago now, and um, before the house fire. And, uh, and I'm like, guys, what are you doing with all the bottle of water? They're like, we're thirsty. And I'm like, there's two of you, like six bottles of water. Something's not right. Well, what are you doing with the rest of them? Well, we're trying to start a fire. Oh, where are you trying to start a fire? Next to the next to the garage and the stack of firewood, which is like next to the garage. <laughs> and we thought we'd take it out here in case we burnt down. I'm like, okay, come on inside. Everyone come in. Yeah. So, so a neighbor kid came over, had a lighter. They were all playing outside. And, you know, at that time, they were probably like nine and five. And I'm like, goodness gracious, if I get through this, this life without something happening. Um, so, but, but again, their eyes uh, were able to see that. He would yeah. never look at you if he was if he was being naughty. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Look anywhere back and yes. say, "Look at me in the eyes." Yeah. <laughs> so then you have then you have the text of Jesus in Revelation, and and this is again. It's not only in Revelation. This is common of ancient literature, but Jesus um, is pictured as having eyes of flaming fire. Okay, and and that image is that he sees everything, but also in the scene he judges everything. Okay, so there's some symbolism that's there of fire coming out of his eyes. So, so I want us to recognize that you know, we might not fully understand which one of those three Jesus is talking about, but it makes sense to us to go, your eyes are going to tell the truth whether or not you're living for earthly treasure or whether or not you're living for God. It's gonna, someone's going to see your heart through how you're, what you're honestly looking at. And, and that's, you know, the Pharisees were putting on a hypocritical front. But you could see through their eyes. I, I think that's part of the truth that's there. And you know that people who are doing things with that wrong motivation will avert their eyes. That Psychologists talk about that all the time. And uh, I, I'm actually kind of prone to study those kinds of things because I think it's fun. Um, but little micro behaviors that you can take and you can actually study the way a person smiles and know whether it's a, an authentic smile or not. And so God has created us with incredible tells on our face. Um, and and that, that to me is astounding. Uh, the science of that, the, the um, social interactions of that. Part of the reason why I, I commit that if I'm ever in conflict with someone, I'll never do it through digital media. It'll always be face-to-face. Because I want that extra conversation to happen uh, that needs to be there. Um, so, so that, that lamp uh, text, I think, you know, that helps us move forward. Verse 24, no one can serve two masters. This one's pretty easy for us, right? Like you really can't have two priorities. You can't have two loyalties. If we're going to use the word loyalty, come back to that repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. What does repent mean? Change your loyalty. So align your loyalty to the king. Either he'll hate the one or love the other. Notice the word love there. Or he'll be devoted to one. He'll despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Now, with that, we go, well, can you have money and serve God? Yes. Money is a tool, a, something that God gives you to serve him. But if you end up serving it, you'll use God as the tool. You'll use the things of God 
as the means to which to get the thing you're actually be actually worshiping. So you'll flip those things upside down. And again, I go, the Pharisees are doing exactly that. Rick Warren talked about kingdom builders. Yeah. He did that um, study. I don't. Were you guys here back in the early 2000s or not? They, uh, it was the, uh, oh, shoot, that book he has about a purpose-driven life. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. yeah. And um, mm-hmm. he talked about kingdom builders. And, uh, you know, he said some people were designed just to fund the kingdom. Mm. And it's interesting, when we went to our missionary training for being veterinarians with all this vet school debt that people have, they have people through the Christian vet mission that all they do is they fund your student loans so that you can go on a mission trip. Yeah. And I thought that was an interesting model. You know, because, yes. Because I've always said, you know, if you get too much debt, it's going to be impossible for you yeah. to go in God's leading. You've got to be careful yeah. that. And I still say that. But, yeah. but I thought it was amazing. Yeah, well, God's the God of the impossible. But I, it was amazing when they said Yeah, that. here's someone giving them the possibility, right? Somebody, yeah. you know, will fund. We have yeah. people that will fund your debt. Yeah. So that you can go over to and yeah. so yeah. that's why you're out of the country. They, well, they won't pay off yeah. the loan oh, completely. I, I yeah. said they will they'll pay, pay it while you're gone. That. I yeah. they paid off. No, they didn't pay it off. Yeah. But they'll pay they it. Made the monthly like if you're going on a three year commitment somewhere. They'd make somebody yeah. go they'll, <laughs> they'll, if it's a barrier. I'm sure they yeah. vet it out properly sure. because you know of some course. people it's the the yeah. Yeah. the heart. Mm-hmm. Well, and that, that to me is honestly one of one of the things that I think, um, you know, should the government ever say, hey, Social Security, those kinds of things, we can't do those. Mm-hmm. The church goes, it's actually better through us anyhow because we can start to evaluate heart and need and and discipleship and those types of things, which is honestly, I mean, that's what we see the church doing in the first century world. We've kind of right. given that to the government. Mm-hmm. And in some ways we've surrendered a core mechanism for us showing the love of Jesus um, through now we do that through other ways and, and I'm thankful we have in fact you know I work quite closely with the missions group but I know right here right now is a great example and honestly we had the fire we put up in a hotel by the church here and I'm super thankful for it um, it was really a, an encouragement um, so so I'm thankful that we we do those kinds of things what you're talking about is that people who are saying I'm going to live at a lower level right. than what I could mm-hmm. so that I can do something that's better um, with that extra money than what I could I mean I could do this with it uh, it'd be fun it'd be good and there's nothing wrong with it necessarily but my heart because of my loyalty to Jesus says Here's a better yes, and that's honestly what I want to, you know, what I want to encourage us is that uh, kingdom people say there's a better yes. It's not I'm guilted or not I'm not I'm shamed. It's not. You're it's still going to give an account to what you said. Yeah, know. yeah, but it is. It's that dynamic that says um, this isn't a burden to me because of what Jesus has done for me. In fact, here's here's the I wrote this in my office today as I was reflecting. And here's the deal: I'm now responsible for. Now we have individuals who will go out and do the fundraising for Ozark. But I'm over that. So I'm responsible for going to individuals and saying, we want you to invest in students striving for ministry at Ozark Christian College. Um, so, so, so this text today, even, I'm like, here we are again, studying about money. Um, and, and, here, and this is honestly a job I'd never, I'd never aspire to. That's not something I aspire to. Does it need done? Absolutely. I think it needs done. Um, you know, our, our leaders at the college came to me actually twice because the first time I said no um, and said, I think this is something we really need you to do. So I said, okay, I'll, you know, I'll commit to helping it, helping it start working uh, a little bit better. But here's what I wrote down. Anything we receive is more than we deserve. And that's that. So your heart that you just shared with me, I agree with you. Like, that heartbeat is the heartbeat that Jesus brings. And, and I, I need to be praying for that, right? Give us our daily bread. When I recognize who God is and who I was, anything I receive is more than what I deserve. So it's all His. You know, in Acts, when... Um, all I can think of is Aquila and Priscilla, and I know that's not right. Um, Ananias and Sapphira. I, yeah, I got it from Aquila and Priscilla, so yeah. you led me right there, yeah. Um you know, if they had just been honest, yeah. I mean, they didn't. God didn't require them, or the church didn't so require true. them to yeah. get everything. But they decided for prestige. That's a great they example. Why? And 
I think that God just requires honesty of us and a pure heart yeah. and obedience to what the Holy Spirit leads us to do yeah. at any given time according to what our resources are. Yeah, and I agree with you. We'll be held account, account, you know, accountable. And, and I also, the New Testament seems to indicate that there's a level of reward. Um, you know, there's other places where the yeah, there's other there's other places like where you have the the farmers who go out into the field for the tenant and he pays them the same amount no matter how much they've worked in the day and you're like that's not fair. Yeah. That's the grace. Like there's the tension there, right? Because if you're working for money and treasure, then Jesus is going to use the parable of the workers in the vineyard. He's going to go, you didn't deserve any of this. Okay. If if you're recognizing you didn't deserve any of it. I think the other parables of reward are the the least become the greatest. Those become. But what is the greatest? Is it greatest impact? Is it you know the greatest level of honor of God saying you're this is the one I esteem? Um, Yeah. I heard I heard a story recently that I thought was really interesting. It happened here in our church. Um, There was a college student that one of my children know um, that was in service and. The Lord was telling him he needed to give the twenty dollars. He had a new wallet. That's yeah. so all he had. All he had was twenty bucks. Yeah. And he was like, "The guy, my guy, didn't live on, you know." And he's, yeah. he's like, "You need to give it." So he he did. He gave it. And um, after service, another gentleman in the church, um, who's established and has more yeah. wealth, was compelled by the Lord to give what he had in his wallet to this college student, and um, yep. and did. And of course. It was tenfold what, yeah. or more, you know, than yeah. what was given. And it, it, if if neither one of them would have listened, then the blessings of that yeah. and yeah. that encouragement and that growth. I mean, there's yeah. so much there yeah. that would have been lost. Yeah. Um, and it's just it's cool when when yeah. we listen to God. And I, I think we do. <coughs> I think we will be held accountable for not. Yeah. Hearing him when he the asks prom- promptings. Yeah. One of the one of the questions, and and this brings up a tension I have, maybe in my own. I mean, maybe this is me reflecting on my own heart. Um, what I what I don't want for people though is to live in a sense of fear no. that they're going to get it wrong. For sure. For sure. Um, That's what you can't do. Yeah. So so that to me that to me is the tension of yeah that to me is the tension, and I'm wrestling with it honestly with myself of going, I want to do what Jesus wants me to do. Mm-hmm. So what does that look like? Does it look like the rich young ruler? Does it look like Zacchaeus? Does it, and at certain times it might be, yeah, like there might be certain seasons where it's one or the other depending on my heart and how the Holy Spirit is prompting my heart. So it's, I agree with you. It's that, it's that grace, but it's that did you listen to the Holy Spirit when he was prompting you to do? Yeah, that's, and that's, I think you, know, you guys are tapping into what Jesus is just teaching on wisdom. Like the people who built their house on the rock were the people who listened to what I said. And did what I said, and built their house on the rock. And uh, you know the stewards who did what the master wanted. They invested the money. I love that. Well, Again, they they invested the money the way the master wanted it to be invested. I'm going. Okay, if I'm the financial guy who is God, and I care about certain stocks, certain financial dividends, it's all in people. He's like, all in, right? And so, and now I recognize part of that is a family is disciples from my kids. Now, some of it's saying no to my kids. Sometimes it's saying yes to my kids. I have to figure that tension out. So sometimes it's having family experiences. You know, we drove out to Oregon. Sometimes it's saying, no, we're not going to because we're going to give to compassion or we're going to say no to this because we're going to say yes to this other thing that's over here. Um, and, uh, you know, and, and I have tension with long-term investment. Because it's, should I save now to be more generous later? Those are tensions. Will I be more generous later? Is a tension. Because I can't judge what my heart's going to be like when I'm older. Um, I don't want to be like the, the farmer who builds bigger barns and bigger barns and bigger barns and is never rich toward God. Um, I also don't want to be that person that expects your children to take care of you. Exactly. There's that balance. Yeah, and, and the New Testament, as well as the Old Testament, yeah. teaches the prudence of... Being a faithful manager, God provides for you, and sometimes it's today for the things that you also need tomorrow. And and so it, He teaches us some of those things, and then sometimes He says, "Give it all away," and and we, we you know and we we take Him at His word. So so this heartbeat is what I want us to hear, is that the the Bible in in all my studies of money, there's different times where the answer of what we do with it 
is very nuanced because of the heart that we have. And that's really important for us to understand. This next text, again, becomes an indicator for us. And that really is this, do not be anxious about your life. And then three things that go along with, or four things at first, right? Um, Whether it's food, drink, body, or clothes. Um, By the way, you look at the culture around us and the commercials we have. um, These are the four things. Okay? Uh, Do not be anxious about life, what you'll eat, what you'll drink, not about your body, because it's going to get older. I'm experiencing this. Um, or what you will put on. Boy, I live with college students. I forgot how much like being in style matters. Oh. It was weird to come back to hear them talk about like other professors and like each other and what shoes they were all wearing. Yeah. I'm like, oh, yeah, that was a thing once. Because I, I totally, and, and part of it is just me. Like I'm partially colorblind. Like for me, like jeans and a T-shirt's okay. Um, because of my colorblindness, I wear blue and jeans or blue and khakis, maybe gray, right? I have gray shoes and I have brown shoes and that's it. Um, so in that dynamic, you know, but even I found myself going, oh, I need to be, we can worry about the silliest things. And, um, and I think he catches us in this and, uh, and he catches us in the turmoil of things that just don't really matter. So, is not life, notice the value, value statement. Life is more than food. The body and, and the body more than clothing. The birds of the air, they don't have to worry about any of these things. Your Heavenly Father, He feeds them. You're not of more, I love this word, value. Sometimes I think we do under-appreciate the value that God places on us. When we have that our Father, who art in heaven... <clears throat> One of the things we recognize is that if he is our father and if, he, if we trust he's a good father, our prayers indicate our beliefs. Uh, if we trust he's a good father, uh, Jesus says, what kind of father is going to give his son a piece of stick? Yeah, or a snake instead of, you know, a, a piece of stone instead of a piece of bread. And, uh, and I totally butchered that. But, um, but the reality is, is like what, what we're anxious about does actually indicate some things about what we believe about God. Um, there's a mixed metaphor in verse 27. Who of you, uh, which one of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to the span of his life? So it's a it's an it's a time metaphor as well as a length metaphor. A cubit, uh, typically a cubit's kind of this length, and so you know, you can imagine a carpenter would just you know, ah yeah that's about right. Um, you know same same kinds of things that we would uh, see ourselves. We have a measurement, um, but the idea here is you can't add any length of time. Not even a small, you know, a smaller measurement uh, to your life, especially by. In fact, what we know about anxiety is what and worry actually <laughs> takes away part of your life. Um, person used to. Uh, this is probably an old preacher metaphor, but preacher metaphor used to say um, worry is like sitting in a uh, rocking chair thinking you're going to get somewhere um, by your movement, and uh, it just you know doesn't get you a whole lot of places. Um, but he gives some metaphors here, and, and these are good for us. Um, uh, you know, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like the flowers. God clothes the grass of the field. It's here today. It's gone tomorrow. I'm waiting for the grass to come. I'm thankful for spring coming, by the way. Um, won't he clothe you, you of little faith? Um, therefore, don't be anxious, saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? The Gentiles, the unbelievers, seek after these things. Notice the word, this word seek, this concept of the eyes again. Your Heavenly Father, there He is again, He knows what you need, um, that you need them all. So it's not that we don't need food and clothing, it's just we don't have to worry about them. It's not that it's bad to have those things that are basic needs, but we we need to look at God rather than look to those things. Um, And so verse 33 becomes, in many ways, this kind of heartbeat of, of what we're supposed to do instead, which is, again, your will be done. Seek first the kingdom of God. And, and sometimes kingdom of God is almost a replacement for just, like, seek God. Um, and his righteousness, that sense of God setting things right in the world, okay? Seek his righteousness. So sometimes, like, we actually seek his righteousness by giving righteousness to others, by setting right what was wrong for others. Sometimes that's through giving and generosity. And all of these things, these basic things, they'll be added to you as well. Uh, what are your, what are your, th- I mean, get, get behind that text. How does that text land for you? Because that can be sometimes accused of being overly simplistic. Because there are Christians who go hungry. 
I go back to your original thought up here when we're talking about his kingdom versus our kingdom. Okay. You know, if we're seeking his kingdom and his righteousness, then our focus is going to be on <coughs> his ways and the heart and okay. and people coming to know him. Yeah. Um, does, does it ever strike you as difficult when Jesus says, like, hey, your father knows your name, he's going to meet your needs, but then there's believers who actually starve to death? That's a hard one. That's, I, I mean, in this world, yeah. we'll have trouble. I mean, I know they were talking yeah. about persecution, but I mean, it. I mean, that's just it's yeah. the way it is on this yeah. side of heaven. Okay. Um, it's why good people, I mean, godly yeah. people like this gal that was my um, one of my friend's sister, she led three people on the cancer unit to Jesus, and she was waiting for her bone marrow transplant and killed over dead. Yeah. And he was angry about that. Yeah. Um, but but and was asking why and and you know we we live on this side of heaven. Yeah. And and you know um, you know one thing about it is I mean it it is you know she was stopped from spreading the kingdom anymore. Um, yeah. But look at the good she did. Yeah. Um, I, I and, think and, and and he's going to grow spiritually because of it, and that's yeah. probably going to spur more people on yeah. to obedient for the faith. I mean, it, yeah. it, what Satan wanted bad to happen from that, yeah, good will yeah. result. I think that kingdom view is one of the things Jesus is getting at. Even with the, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven, there is the tension there that says we live in this world that is broken. And sometimes people do go hungry, but there's an ultimate bread of heaven. There's an ultimate, you know, if you want to use wedding feast from Revelation, there's an ultimate meeting of needs that God will say, I'm fulfilling that promise. It wasn't fulfilled completely on earth. I'm fulfilling it here now. So there's there's this tension that's there. I just, I just really, I always wonder what God's using our pain to yeah help others to grow others you know i read yeah. i don't know if you've ever read the insanity of god yeah yeah you know you look at people who are suffering for the kingdom's sake and yet yeah. it's through their suffering that the church grows yeah. stronger and um and and it's through our suffering you know i look at brian's family and his older brother was the first yeah. of the family to become a believer because his college roommate lost his father uh, and wow. just had a really, really rough year. He drove up on the scene and was, you know, went to help and didn't realize who it was. And his father died in his arms. And, and you know, th- through that, he was so strong through it. Now, this doesn't have to do with food, yeah. um, but it has to do with loss. And, and it was through his strength of dealing with that that Brian's older brother said, how do you do it? Yeah. You know? And, yep. and it's through him that... Brian's yeah. a believer that our children, you know, I mean, and so you never know the legacy that takes place as a result yeah. of someone's suffering I agree. that they may never yeah. see. You know? I think, you know, it even brings me back to the Beatitudes. Blessed are the, yeah. those who mourn, those who are, if it's Luke's translation, those who are hungry. Matthew is hunger and thirst for righteousness. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, but that idea is, why? Because you know you need God. Like, yes. you know that you need the kingdom of God. You know you need Jesus. Until um, your faith is tested. I mean, yeah. it's not true faith. Right. I, I tell my college students, there's an article that I think it's Time Magazine, it might be Washington Times, wrote last year that said the average college student has no like education on how to deal with suffering. That's not something we teach kids, one of the things that they are. And I'm like, I'm bringing this article into my Second Timothy class because the entire Second Timothy class is Paul's farewell address to Timothy. It's his last will and testament is what it is uh, to Timothy, and it's all about how to suffer. And I'm like, so I'm like, okay, college students, like, no, if no one's ever taught you, we're about to dive in. Let's dive in now. And one of the statements, you remind me of a statement that we have in there is pain is sometimes our greatest platform for the gospel. Yeah. Our greatest platform for ministry. Yeah, because because we identify with Jesus on the cross. Mm-hmm. We identify with our need for him. But other people see our hope and our faith. And draws and us I, together. Yeah. You know, and, and, you know, I love how he talks in the book that we as, as Americans are so dull to the gospel. Yeah. That he's like, why would he persecute us? It would only draw us stronger together. Yeah. You know, it's, yeah. It's, so it's an interesting... To stop the persecution. Yeah. To stop... Yeah. yeah. Well, and that's like us. To stop the pain, you yeah. know, um, people try all these different things instead of dealing with it 
yeah. and using it as a way of emerging with hope on the other side. And yeah. see drugs, alcohol, addictions. Yeah. And and uh, you know we we have found other ways of dealing with the pain than Jesus. And yeah. And um, you know uh, we live in a culture that doesn't want to fill any pain. Yeah. To, to me, the answer of seek His kingdom is one of the ways unlocking that. Like His kingdom is of heaven coming down and, and, and engaging with the things of the earth, but it's breaking through. But there is this tension of now, but not yet. Like there, there is a, a heaven and earth are, are one, but there's going to be a day where heaven and earth are actually, the curtain's going to be torn and, and we're, we're going to walk together and it's going to be new heaven, new earth. Um, so this last, last phrase that's here, uh, therefore do not be anxious about tomorrow. Boy, I need this sometimes. There's actually been a night this week. I just needed to go to sleep. I will sometimes email myself in the middle of the night, 2 o'clock in the night, in the middle of the morning. Um, usually the title of the email is idea drop. I just need to leave everything there. And then I'll say, okay, I can't do anything about it tonight. Um, I need to leave it to tomorrow. Honestly, the Sabbath was created for us to do that. To where we go, God, you got this. Yeah. I'm going to rest. Yeah. I need to rest. I need you. Um, I can't do this on my own. I need rest. That same thing as fasting, right? Mm-hmm. So fasting and Sabbath have a lot in common to where it's really this declaration of dependence upon God that says, I, I could work this extra day, but to be honest, it wouldn't even be all that, it wouldn't be all that big of a help because quite frankly, this grain's not going to grow unless God, you're in this. And, uh, you know, for me, it's God, if, if you're not in this, I have no power to encourage people all over the world to give to Ozark Christian College. I have no authority, no power to actually make that happen. God, you have the ability to make this grow. Um, so in verse 32, the pagans running after these things. Yeah. You know, especially if you're a small business owner, um, you, you never get done. Yeah. And the other night, um, I was thinking about all the things we need to do Yeah. Um, as we're growing, and I just need yeah. to be there all the time. Yeah. And, you know, it's easy to chasing after those yeah. things. It's different in our culture. Yeah. Or like if you're a small business, I mean, you know, everything I need to get do, and I'm like, you know what? I have to have balance. Yeah. Um, and seek first this thing yeah. because because those things yeah. there's always going to be those things. Yeah, you know, as soon as we start living, it's never, it's never going to be done. As soon as we live for that, as soon as I get through this, that's such a lie. I don't know why we do that, but we do that. And I, someone told me that the other day. I was like, don't lie to yourself. That's so false. That's, that's not that we're going to be it. And, and my mom was a small business owner. So, so that principle is one of those things that you know I observed in her and, and, uh, and seen in other people as well. And, and see it in myself, um, you know, to stop. And that doesn't, you know, that doesn't probably, I know it doesn't go as far as the Pharisees. We don't add a burden. It's created for us. Like to relate and to value the things that are valuable, which is relationships with God and relationships with one another. That's why God created the Sabbath, is for us to have that gift of, of rhythm. I, you know, the Proverbs and Ecclesiastes, I think, are intentionally paired together. Proverbs says, these are the things that are generally true. If you take care of your garden, it's going to grow. If you if you are a good steward, it's going to turn out okay. If you're just, people are going to look on you highly. If you're corrupt, people are going to you're going to be judged. Ecclesiastes comes along and says, "Yeah, but this is a broken world, and so it's going to feel like sometimes you're chasing after the wind, and sometimes it's going to feel like it's all vanity, and sometimes it's going to feel that the people who are evil get whatever they want." Those intentionally, those two wisdom books are written intention to one another because we live with the general truths of Proverbs. We're going to live this way, but we're going to have faith that we live under the sun, that even when things don't look the ideal way that they should, God's got this. It's going to be okay. And, uh, and, and Jesus, and the reason I mention that Jesus in Matthew is very much depicted as wisdom of the old Testament, build your house, right? Wise men, build your house on the rock. Um, this kind of a text is written in that same format to say there's some things that are generally true if you live by them. And yeah, I know there's exceptions to it. Seek the kingdom of God. Like God's got this. He's over all of this. Um, So even in this anxiety, you can kind of hear the chasing after the wind kind of idea from Solomon and some of those things. Um, Boy, tomorrow will be anxious enough for itself if we could just live day to day. I I love the Old Testament texts, and and I use them in funerals quite often. So honestly, that's part of the reason they're kind of knit into my soul. Um, Just the idea of like, 
the, the wise person numbers their days. You know, want to live a life of wisdom? Number your days. And, um, you know, in that sense, uh, recognizing that the, the, there's a sacredness. I had one speaker a long time ago who said, there's a sacredness to the present, to now. Because we're temporal beings, and now is the only thing we have the ability to invest in. I try to tell this to students, right? Don't skip class. Why? Because now is the time you've set aside and paid for, by the way, uh, to study. You won't have that back. You don't get that investment back. Um, there's a sacredness to now with my kids who are 12, 9, and 5. And, and everyone who's older than me, y'all, right? They tell me that. Like, don't take it for granted. It goes by so fast. Well, I can't do anything about the past. I need, I need grace for that. I can't yet worry about the future. So the only thing I do sometimes is sometimes sleep. Even myself in the night. Sometimes yeah, it's Sabbath. Someone once told me with kids, and she told me this was Sierra. It was so helpful for me. She said every stage of your kids' lives are about six months. Through mm. you know, starting from really yeah. clear, you know, about six months, and they kind of transition into something else. Yeah. And she said, I've seen so many people say, I just wish they'd sleep through the night. I just yeah. I just wish they wished it away. She said, and then they're eighteen, and, she, and and they're like, I just wish I could have those babies back. And yeah. Like, you know, and she's like, just enjoy the six months yeah. what you got because you only have it for six months. Yeah. And yeah. anytime I was feeling really frustrated, I was like, you know what? Don't I only that's got this good. for six months. Yeah, that's like that. <laughs> it was probably the best advice anybody. That's ever. it. That's a good, wise saying. Yeah. For the present is basically what she was saying. Yeah. You know, same concept. You know, it's kind of putting it into a perspective that makes sense. That's been good for me to hear. You know, don't wish away because I have a tendency to. Yeah. Plan in the future, make goals, plan and, I, and that's my personality. That's why I'm doing yeah. the job I'm doing is because I plan three years in advance. Yeah. yeah. And, yeah. and what happens is, you know, I mean, there's a lot of good to that. Yeah. Because uh, you have a plan in place, and you I'm need to have yeah. a plan in place, but you also need to. Yeah. Be present. But, but there's there's a time and place, and and for me, you know, part of the wisdom is when I come home, I need I need to be there, right. and, and 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 productivity, in relationship. Looks different. It looks different. <laughs> yeah. It's different. The pace and rhythm is different, and it's hard for me to sometimes change uh, change gears. On the back of your handout, I want to list these four things, and then we'll be done. Uh, four reasons not to worry. Number one, um, worry is powerless. Only God is powerful. Okay, um, so power is number one reason why not to worry. God has power; you don't, and uh, and neither does worry. Um, number two is faith. Who you believe God is is a reason not to worry. Your father. My kids don't worry about what's going to be on the table the next day. Even when we were uh, financially strapped and we were praying, give us our daily bread, they didn't worry. Uh, now they knew who I was. They knew, I mean, I, I sold my power tools to Jim Wickencamp. We bought half a cow in that season of life. Mm-hmm. Um, we uh, butchered a cow from a general elder at Blendville Christian uh, Church. Uh, I was intern preaching there because uh, that was bringing in some extra income at the time. And uh, he was selling longhorn beef. And so I sold all my power tools that I'd saved up, collected over the years. And I was like, you know what? Not going to be a carpenter anytime soon. I have three kids at home, right? So, um, so you know, they didn't worry. Why? Because they, when I drive... My kids don't worry. My wife worries when I drive. My kids don't worry. Why? Because they trust that I've got it. The bigger view of God we have, the smaller our worry will become. And I have to, I mean, there's sometimes I'll wake up and honestly I'll have to do the, the Lord's Prayer and uh, outline it. And sometimes I'll just have to lift up my hands and kind of do the little kid thing like, you got this, I don't, I just need you, okay, I need to sleep. And, and I think God gives us that peace that surpasses understanding that guards our hearts and guards our minds when we see a bigger view of him. Um, I love that, that text and even some of the anxiety, worry texts in the New Testament. Um, the Lord is at hand. Therefore, don't be anxious. Don't worry. The, the, like It's like a little kid that's reaching out to dad's hand and going, you're right there. Uh, the Lord is near. The Lord is at hand. Uh, so obviously, the fourth, third word there on your handout is focus. And, and you mentioned this when it comes to being a small business owner. Um, sometimes we do lose focus on things that actually matter. And uh, this is true for me. Um, so this is, this, is, this is my reminder of these four things. Um, and, and hopefully that bleeds over to you. Uh, and the last thing is just, what do you treasure? What do you value? Are not you more valuable than they? And, um, man, that's, you know, that's true of how God sees me. 
it's true of how I need to see other people, and uh, and I you know I think you know even people we interact with, there's sometimes we treat people um, as if they're they're not worth a whole lot, uh, and I don't want to get you know overly detailed. We had a gentleman come in this week to to the uh, reception hall of Ozark Christian College. We have a young lady who she's older than a college student, young mom has a new kid. She's our receptionist in the afternoon. She was subbing for the full day. He had come to an event on our campus that was rent that someone rented our campus. So I don't know this gentleman. He doesn't attend here. Uh, doesn't have any affiliation with those at Christian College. Uh, he was mad. Uh, wanted a refund for his ticket of this thing he attended. Uh, they didn't give him the refund uh, there. Um, people he needed to talk to weren't in the office at the time. So he needed to come back. Kind of felt like he had had the run around, which I get it. Uh, that, that makes me mad sometimes, too. Um, and under his breath, kind of made what could have been perceived as a threat to our college, to be honest. And it was one of those things like, in this day and age, you can't make those, like, I don't know what I'm going to do if I don't get a refund. Well, you can't even say that in this day and age, right? So I had the opportunity to meet with this gentleman, and I, you know, I have some training in guest services, quite a bit, from just people being mad um, in ministry. And, you know, kind of knew what I was going to say going in. Um, But I went and pulled off the poster of what this event was and how much he had likely paid and it was 30 bucks and I'm just going man you know and there's a part of me that goes I've done maybe think I don't know I don't know that I've done anything like that but I've but I've done some things like that where I've lost something my kids have broken something and the value I expressed was that this thing was more valuable than you so you know in that mind $30 more important than the feelings of this young girl sitting at our front desk and, and we, we have to be careful, I think, of those types of value moments that we have in the course of life. Um, you know, it's easy for me to say, hey, Ozark, we'll write you a $30 check. That's not a problem for us. Like, our relationship with you is more important than 30 bucks. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so, you know, I, I want us to take this text, and, and as we move into it, chapter 7, we're going to talk about judging. Notice why that's important. Because as we start to begin to have value statements of people um, judging, and, and we have a place to judge, but it's only when we first reflected on who we are and we see, notice the eye connection, and we see clearly enough to be able to help them, not just to judge them. So that's where we'll be when we get back together next week. Lord, Lord willing, your kingdom come. If he comes before next week, we'll see you there. He'll unveil all of it to us and we'll see clearly. So that'll be good. All right. Thank, yeah, thank you, friends. Thanks again for checking out this podcast. We hope this teaching helped you to discover completeness in Jesus and encourages you to help others do the same. For more resources or to learn about Christ Church in general, visit us online at cco.church.